Welcome to the Victor Frankel Meaning Academy. We are your hosts of the Meaning Academy podcast, Dr. Daniel Franz and Dr. Baruch Halevi. In this podcast, we explore the insights and inspiration of Dr. Victor Frankel and all things meaning, purpose, and resilience. Thanks for joining us. And now let's begin our search for meaning. Welcome to the Meaning Academy podcast with your hosts, Rabbi B and Dr. D. It's been a while, B. How you been? It's been a while. What has it been like two hours since we spoke last? I don't know. I talked to you more than I talked to Ariella. I know that's exactly what my wife's saying too. As this, you know, I, I think our listeners are learning as this academy starts to bloom. You know, it was fun a year ago just getting together. Oh, you know, when we have time every couple of weeks. But literally, and I know I've said it before, my email. My te- it was, you know, my texts, my phone calls are more uh, Baruch Halevi than it is anything else in the past couple of weeks. And uh, and it shows because I think you said something earlier. Well, yeah, I texted you that idea. And I'm like, in what format, bud? Because was it a text? Was it a boxer, email, smoke signal? I mean, we communicate in so many duplicitous ways lately to launch this uh, this academy with our friend, Dr. Elise, that uh, I just don't always remember how we are talking or what we're talking about. Because, Dan, it was a communication of the heart. I don't even have to say anything now. And you, you, just <laughs> you got me, man. That was I got it. Over, a, <laughs> over 100 episodes of podcasting, and I've never done a spit take until there. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. That'll go viral. So, uh, yeah, so good stuff um, that we're working on behind the scenes and now in front of, uh, you know, on-scene video, podcast, however you're getting to us. We are super excited to be just in this full time. I mean, I would say it's full time on top of your full time day job. And it's a it's a work of of love, of passion. It's a passion project in so many ways. It is certainly a work of meaning. Yesterday hosted our, uh, I believe, fourth meaning mastermind. It was beautiful to see uh, the returning patrons, the returning meaning seekers interested in what we had to say. And talked a lot about, uh, talked all about one of my favorite quotes from Dr. Frankel, uh, the ensuit of happiness that you cannot pursue happiness or success, but that you must, it must ensue from meaningful interactions and activities. Um, So if you want to find out more about yesterday's conversation with our group of meaning seekers, hop on over to the Facebook page, The Meaning Academy, uh, then look for Meaning Seekers of The Meaning Academy. And come on over and join us in that conversation and interaction. It's been a lot of fun so far. Probably it's growing every day. A lot of people sharing, interacting, sharing some of the other podcasts they listen to. Um, good stuff going on over there. Well, let me just say I was uh, a fly on the wall for that one. I was incapacitated and just listening, which is totally uh, welcome. We welcome you to just drive your car mm-hmm. and turn off the video and listen or eat your lunch since it's over the lunch hour for many. But the bottom line was I took so much... You know, it was interesting because I was thinking about three ways, three pathways to meaning, according to Frankel and Logotherapy, which is to the creative process, the experience mm-hmm. and the attitude. And I was just experiencing meaning, just listening. And I thought about it. I felt like I lost myself for about an hour. I was um, really just immersed in everybody's insights and the conversation. It was really beautiful. 
So if you're interested in just receiving meaning, that's fine too. Jump over to the Meaning Mastermind next Thursday. Yeah, yeah. We we get to do the creating part. You can co-create with us or just hop in and experience it. Um, and of course, if you have questions you want us to, to field in the Meaning Mastermind, uh, email either B or I, or again, hop on the Facebook page and, and send us anything. And of course, check out what we have going on at themeaningacademy.com. So, all right, I think that's enough promotion of the Meaning Academy. Although, again, when you, when you live it, love promotion. it, and learn Right. That testimony. was a, that was an encouraging testimony, right? Because when you live it, love it, and learn it like we do on a daily basis, you can't help but talk about it. But uh, how about we get a little, a uh, little cultural, a little modern day? I have had in the past couple weeks quite a few people mention their uh, experience, their concern. I believe one of our meaning seekers uh, just a, a week or so ago brought up uh, his research into. AI, artificial intelligence. What do you think about this stuff, B? I don't know what I don't know. This is one of those topics where A, I don't know, and B, I'm not that interested. Um, uh, and yet it's also a topic where you can't not be interested. You must mm -hmm. at some level. So here's an example. My wife, Ariella, from the Enneagramness among us, she's an Enneagram four, which is the individualist, the romantic, the artist. She could not care less about <laughs> things like um, artificial intelligence. Like if there's a hierarchy of things she cares about, it's on the very bottom. And yet she this week came to me and said, okay, what is this thing? AI? What is chat GPT? Is it GPT? GP? GPT. I don't I even know. Yeah. Um, and I don't even know the difference between chat GPT and open AI and all these things. But the point though, is that even somebody like Ariella, and I'm sort of a notch above that, can't stay out. We have to have this conversation. Yeah. Um, as the great author Malcolm Gladwell shared, everything in our culture either fades away or reaches a tipping point. And what I've seen is we're, we're not there yet. We're not we're not at that tipping point where AI has become uh, ubiquitous in, in in our days, but boy, sometimes it sure feels like it's getting there. We hear about it a lot. I've engaged in several conversations about Chat GPT, so maybe we take this from two directions. Of course, we look at it from the lens of meaning and logotherapy, and of course, existential analysis. Um, but I also come at it uh, from my childhood. I grew up a science fiction nerd, loved Star Wars. My first experience with AI, right? Those two robots in Star Wars, C-3PO and R2-D2, autonomous, walking around, having conversations, doing cool things, helping their human counterparts. And, and Star Wars was inhabited with a world of intelligent robots, androids, I think they were called. But so then my next gonna, experience, say, my, go ahead. My first experience was uh, Teddy Ruxpin. <laughs> that creepy bear. Well, didn't he have to have a cassette back there, or did he? I don't know. Boy, I don't I know if there was a chip wrong. or a cassette. That was creepy, wasn't it? It was like the you know the movie Ted, except it was you know the creepy version. It was like really right, like, except it was remember. yeah, it was really there. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. like uh, Chucky with fur. Yeah, it was, it's, but but the, your point though, and the, my point is, it's it's so primitive. I mean, it's just. Right. What we're talking about then versus now, it's 
And so, you know, if you project, oh, that's what we're talking about, just more sophisticated, I think we're missing the point. It's not linear. It hasn't been a linear. It's been a, um, you know, a, I don't know, a curve. And it's like we're hitting this place where, because when I say, when I say um, AI, I'm thinking textual AI or, or mm -hmm. at most Siri, Teddy Ruxpin 2.0, right? Mm -hmm. Which is just talking back and forth. But that's not even the half of it, right? We're getting into video and we're getting into recreation of people's personas. Yeah. Uh, full speeches um, comprised of just bits of, of other speeches, things people may have never said composed of bits and pieces that were taken. So maybe that's the, the chat GPT route where right now, today, AI can take our creativity, bits of our creativity, small pieces of it, and synthesize um, an entire book from an outline, an entire course from a book, that is it our work? I think that's the question I've hit, is I've wanted, look, we know all, all psychologists and logotherapists want to write a book, want to write tons of books. Our good friend, Dr. Elise, has several that everybody should listen, uh, listen to or read because they're amazing. But the idea that now, uh, this process that I, I watched a while back, somebody was sharing that from a few bullet points, you can get an outline in ChatGPT. You feed it into the AI, the AI says, okay, here's your outline. From that outline, you feed in individual components into ChatGPT and it'll write paragraphs and pages. And from those pages, it will create a book. So in my mind, you come up with a dozen words and all of a sudden you have a book created for you, but is it you? Is it your thoughts? Yeah, um, it's a really deep conundrum. I mean, because my daughter, who's in freshman in high school, one of my daughters, a freshman in high school, and her brother introduced her to ChatGPT, and she started using it for one of her papers. And she didn't really understand that that's plagiarism. Right. So and it's a fine line because she was working with her words and it was making them better. At what point is it no longer her? Is it no longer hers? Is it mm -hmm. now outsourcing it to something or someone else? And she's in a bit of a quandary. I mean, she turned in a paper where like I really I told her she needs to go talk to her teacher and talk through because we're in uncharted territory of what's yours, what's you and what's artificial right and, and and i would argue in my experience as both a student and as a professor plagiarism is taking somebody else's work right you you cut and paste or or excessively quote work that's already been done what she did is to take from the ai i will just refer to it as the ar from the chat gpt and i mean it was originally her ideas but then augmented <laughs> So is it plagiarism well, or, as you said, uncharted territory that we just don't even know how to define it yet? Well, like, for instance, I use Grammarly. I don't know if you're familiar with Grammarly, but it just mm -hmm. is an art. It's a simple art AI where it fixes the commas and the periods. And it also makes rearranges my sentences based on, you know, better practice. And I, I hit accept sometimes that's it's a fine line because you know if it rearranges my words into a more 
palatable combination. I don't know. I don't, I've never thought about it as plagiarism. I'm not like consulting the Wikipedia and think, mm-hmm. but it's again, I say it 50 times. It's a fine line. Yeah. Well, so what I hear you saying is it all started with spell check. As soon as we had spell check, right? As soon as spell check started correcting us, and then it be, you know, that was correcting our spelling. Then it became correcting our grammar. Now it's coming to writing entire books for us. Um, so this is just a fact, but Grammarly keeps track of how many words you write. And in the past 18 months, you can tell I've had a lot of time on my hands. I've written 3 million words, according to Grammarly, 3 million. I didn't even know. Now, most of them just are crap. Just well, I know on. because they're all in my email, right? That's, that's all the, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Those are all those terrible emails um, you send me. Sadly for you, Grammarly doesn't check my emails. So if it did, it would be much more palatable. Or but, your texts. Um, however, I, um, you know, not just because it's original doesn't mean it's good or doesn't mean it's off. You know, it doesn't mean it's the best version. So it does help me discern a better version of myself to really chip away at all the noise that isn't, doesn't feel like me to get down to those, you know, few hundred thousand words over the course of a year and a half that were really meaningful, that were really expressing my nuance, my soul, my spirit, my intention. So there's a wonderful place for it. Um, I, I don't want it to be like, oh, what two old codgers, you know, ragging on these newfangled ideas. Uh, get off my lawn. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I, I guess that's it. I think it isn't just about two grumpy old bald men complaining from the from the from the loft about what's going on it's it really becomes a a moral or even ethical question of you know where is the true spirit of the human being being expressed and where is it being taken over by these new forms of intelligence and i i know i've i've i have done the grumpy old man uh get off my lawn a couple times in the past few years as i read different books in uh, in our, well, not necessarily in logotherapy, because all logotherapy books are pretty awesome right now, but uh, a lot of business books or, or uh, business self-help books, even self-help books. And and I mentioned to my wife, this was just a couple months ago, I said, damn, every one of these things seems to be written by the same person or the same <laughs> formula or the same ghostwriter. And I was just like, oh, now it makes sense. These are, may have been, I don't know, maybe they were just poorly written but you know maybe these were people on the on the cutting edge of chat gpt just spitting out words um but then i guess also that brings another question i mean how would chat gpt be different than just having a ghostwriter um it's a really great question so my friend samantha is a ghostwriter hey sam maybe you're listening and she thanks um, for being in the uh, meeting mastermind yesterday sam good to see you she's now a meaning seeker as well so um sam is an artist because i've witnessed her work uh, she works a lot with my sister who's you know sort of works with sam and delivers the ideas and sam sort of uh the pottery and the wheel and the clay and my sister sort of gives her the clay and there's this beautiful dance they do. So it's different in that there is artistry, right? There is an originality. And okay, I think let I feel me, like that's what's go ahead. Go ahead. Go, I was gonna say, let me be the foil to that. Let me argue that. Because what we are seeing out there is art 
images, paintings, illustrations created by AI. And now I'll be honest, I don't know a darn thing about how that happens. I don't know if you plug in a couple words and it spits out a picture, but AI is creating art. Well, it begs the deeper question of what's what's art? Mm -hmm. you, know, you, you can call it art. I took my kids to New York City five years ago or something. They were still relatively young. We are at Central Park, um, you know, a bunch of tourists grabbed by an artist, quote unquote, who sketched our pictures and they're perfect. Like they're just mm. perfect. I mean, really, it was amazing. And my daughter thought, you know, this person must be a world famous artist. And because the art is so perfect and I paid him 50 bucks or whatever the rate was. That's not world famous art. That's that's manufactured art, right? Mm -hmm. Because world famous art may not look that pretty, may not look that neat and tidy, right? You know, you pay a, for a Picasso, you're not paying for, is it perfectly crafted? You're paying for mm -hmm. something else. Yeah. You're paying for the humanity, the spirit, the nuance behind it. And I mean, and, the yeah. the person. So have you ever heard of an um, author, um, psychiatrist, David Hawkins? I have not. He was, he was a contemporary of um, Frankel's. It's surprising to me that he doesn't seem to reference Frankel, but um, Hawkins did a lot of crossover work in psychiatry, psychology, and spirituality. And I think he's the one who developed muscle testing where you can push down on somebody's arm if they're telling a lie and it's much harder to resist you know, those types of things where there's actual energy exchanged in, in these transactions, in these interchanges. And some words have a higher vibration. He's done scientifically validated measurements on, you know, some words like have higher vibration and some words have a lower vibration. So if you say mm -hmm. to your kid, right, you know, you're a jerk energetically, like that child just diminishes. It's not, mm -hmm. that's not shocking. But what's mm -hmm. interesting is he starts measuring the intention that goes into a product, that goes into a company. Some companies vibrate at a higher level because their intention isn't to, to, to you know, to, to swindle you. It's to mm -hmm. actually contribute something meaningful. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's where we're going with this is you're going to be able to empirically feel the difference. Now, maybe I'm naive. Maybe it's going to be, hey, B, we can fool you, right? We'll fool mm -hmm. you and you'll think. But I don't know. I know when I'm around a person who's a fraud or a phony or too polished and I'm missing the nuance. I'm missing the spark. Yeah, that's uh, an interesting point. Uh, upcoming in the next few weeks on the Meaning Project podcast, I spoke to Dr. Dennis uh, Tansley about his work in prospect theory and basically prospect theory, uh, Nobel Prize winning theory, pretty much used in marketing that Oh, I'm going to botch this. You should listen to the podcast later. But if you speak, uh, if you use the negative in certain situations, it resonates more than if you use the positive. But if we mix that kind of science with AI, if we mix, you and I listened to a, a great podcast with Tim Ferriss and Seth Godin recently. And that idea, if you take surveillance capitalism, uh, what I refer to often as the almighty algorithm, and you mix it with AI, we will reach this point where we are constantly being sold things with a much more intelligent bent on making us buy. Yes, it's um, 
was Chief Justice Potter in the 70s said about pornography, famous statement. It's hard to describe, mm -hmm. but you know it when you see it. When you see it. Right. And I feel like that's sort of what we're in the realm of, of AI because just have a hard time naming it. I, th I think in some ways, yeah. So um, this book I'm reading by David Hawkins called Force Versus Power, great book. And he talks about Roger Bannister, um, the famous um, runner who broke the four minute mile. Four minute prior mile. To, yeah. Prior to Bannister, it was thought to be impossible. It just, there was no frame of reference for it. And then he did it. And then all of a sudden it just became, now it's the new standard. A high schooler runs four minute mile, right? So it's like this paradigm shift where we can't know what we can't know until we know it, until somebody breaks it, until, you know, the iPhone is in our hand, whatever mm -hmm. the paradigm shift is. Yeah. So let's talk about that paradigm shift because, you know, after Star Wars, the next uh, introduction on screen I had with AI was the famous, everybody knows this one the terminator arnold schwarzenegger walking around as a giant threatening indestructible robot bent on uh killing one individual person i believe it was sarah connor uh coming back through time to seek her and terminate her i even even i think i was a young i don't know when it came out i'm not going to age myself but that movie was terrifying man i mean he was he was he was frightening and then from there, a few years later, I believe in the late 90s, we go to the Matrix, where the Terminators grow and eventually start, you know, we've used machines for, uh, you know, a few decades now. And then all of a sudden, they start using us as batteries to, you know, they, they destroy the world and then start using us to, uh, to power their AI intelligence. People are terrified of that truly happening. And, you know, is that the paradigm shift um, we need to be worried about? Or is it more, okay, we'll have expanded creativity and a, a new sense of surveillance capitalism? I mean, look, grew up in the 80s. And uh, I remember War Games with Matthew Broderick. That was Classic. terrifying. And that was the 80s. Like, that was like just the beginning of this. And it was like not so inconceivable that if our nuclear arms are all on computer systems and the computer system gets out of control and takes over, it just launches. So I don't think it's, I don't even think you have to go as far fetched as the Terminator uh, mm -hmm. or, or matrix, though that's where we're probably headed. Um, I just think it's a simple like glitch that's maybe now no longer a glitch, but now is there's an intention behind it. Um, and yes, it's terrifying. However, however, I come back to Admiral William Crow, who said, in times like these, there have always been times like these. And I have to believe. Now, again, maybe I, we are naive to say there are times like these because there have never been times like these. Except I think we do have paradigms for these, right? I think we do have examples of these paradigm shifts. You know, the world is flat. The world is round. We're going to fall off the edge. Uh, I mean, the list goes on. And I just think this is where I come back to my logo philosophical view of the world control yourself you can't mm -hmm. control your circumstances mm -hmm. i'm reminded of uh the months leading up to you know the throughout 1998 and 1999 the world is going to end we can't do everything's going to fall apart why because we never programmed the computers to switch from 99 to the year 2000 they're all going to shut down and many of us you know <laughs> waited my, oh my goodness, my mother at that time, please, everybody, let's just come home for New Year's Eve. I want everybody to be here like, all right, mom, that's cool. We'll, we'll hang out with you for New Year's Eve. And, and everything wound up being Wait. okay. 
let me, let me tell you a story on that because I was living in Jerusalem and people not only thought, I mean, for the, for our young listeners, all three of them, um, who weren't <laughs> around for that. People thought the world was not only was the world going to come to an end um, um, from a technological perspective, but also from a religious perspective, because it was the year 2000 and it was somehow a monumental, meaningful, you know, paradigm shift where for those uh, who believe in Christ, Christ was coming back to, you know, the beginning of the end, Armageddon, whatever it was. I was living, I had a front row seat for Nut Job Central. Every, like every, um, what was that? The asteroid folks, um, you know, the uh, hell. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Those people right? are waiting for the comet over in, in LA or something. Yeah. So they were, they were, you know, all those people were showing up because they had wanted a Heaven's front row Gate. seat at all. And all Heaven's Gate and all my, all my, you know, I have a lot of friends who are ministers, priests and, and theologians. And they're like, this is silly because first of all, you know, there's been a miscarriage counting probably since if you mark time by Jesus, Jesus's birth. So probably off, but then, you know, a thousand other reasons. So what you were getting were all of the people that were looking for drama, looking for something to, you know, bring, uh, attach themselves onto. And so you had all these strange people coming and getting, you know, thinking it was the beginning of the end. They wanted to be at the heart of it all. And what happened? It was Shabbat. It was the Jewish Sabbath and uh, the entire city of Jerusalem just goes quiet. And it was New Year's Eve and it was quiet. It was lovely. And we woke up the next day and life went on. And that was always a paradigm for me or a metaphor for me that like, there's always going to be this drama and this fear and this anxiety and all around all these world changes. And more often than not, it's kind of a yawn. It's like not really what we thought it was going to be. And when I hear you say drama and things well the drama that people seek during those times i mean in some ways aren't they just seeking meaning and finding it in probably the most unhealthy way possible whereas well, if they, they were to I, I don't know that's i i guess as i hear you say that i i, I wonder are these i think they're seeking suffering i think to our you know our, our doctors dr frankel's point of view i think they're they're trying to it's sort of like this sort of emotional cutting or spiritual cutting or you know, trying to like hurt themselves, get into the suffering. It just felt to me gratuitous. Mm -hmm. All this drama around Y2K, whether you were a techie or whether you were a rel religious fanatic, it felt gratuitous. It felt self-immolating, kind of a self-induced suffering. Yeah. And, and as, as we have studied and, and share, when it's self-induced suffering, I mean, that nearly is masochism and you you have a choice not to do that so let's fast forward that into the world of ai if if engaging in the drama of y2k or mbop comet or whatever that was um i believe actually mbop was a hansen song not a comet i digress <laughs> sorry if if we are seeking that drama of of ai and, and indulging maybe in too much news and consuming everything we can possibly, what choices do we have? I mean, shouldn't we be just neck deep in this on a daily basis so we can be prepared and, and know everything there is to know? It's a really interesting question. And I think it comes for me back to when I get myself into trouble, 
is when I start allowing the circumstances to pull my attention off of my logos, off mm -hmm. of my center, my meaning. I think that there's a time and a place, for instance, I see this a lot with clients. I'm sure you do too. Well, actually, I know you do because you said it yesterday on our uh, meeting mastermind. And that is Google, Dr. Google, <laughs> right? Dr. Google is a form of AI. It's like, you know, it's, it's an intelligence out there and it's bringing to me more and more of the things I'm looking for. And then I Google something and now all of a sudden I got all these pop-ups on my phone and I'm following them. And then it's taking me down this rabbit hole of fear and also of like just knowledge for knowledge's sake. It's not wisdom. At some point it's just noise. And so there's a difference there. Why, when you say pop-ups, why does Dr. Google do that? Well, because it's trying to sell you something. Somebody is trying to make money off of your attention. That's what all those, excuse me, pop-ups are for. That's why so many people, you know, those Dr. Google blogs, you never quite know WebMD or whatever it is. And so, you know, what I instruct clients to do is, hey, if you want to know, go find somebody that doesn't have a vested interest, a financial interest, and letting you know. Right. And very often those are, are good podcasts with scientists or doctors or logotherapists or or books rather than, you know, whenever you start seeing pop ups, I hope we don't have any pop ups on, on our podcast now. I'm really scared. But, you know, as soon as you start seeing pop ups, somebody's trying to profit. Right. And if you see a lot of profit or a lot of pop ups are trying to profit a lot. So if um, you have questions about AI, find a different way to go. So tell, describe what happens when somebody has been Dr. Googled and they come into your office and you can tell. Oh my goodness. The, the, the fear, right? Because there's, they're sold this bill of goods and, and in our human experience, we want to understand, right? And one of the best ways to understand is to simplify. Another way to say simplify is unfortunately reduce. Re, we reduce our symptoms, our humanity to a label and then we say, I am that. And as B says, no, you have to defy that. You have to defy your number, defy your letter, defy your label, and try to understand who you are as a human and what you're going through. You very well may be suffering from bipolar disorder or schizophrenia. Statistically, the chances are pretty limited. What you may be struggling with is an existential crisis of growing old, losing a job struggling with life, having kids move. There may be positives in there as well, but we have to understand a person as an entire human and not just do that one-on-one -on -one research with Dr. Google that's going to feed us all the answers, some of which may not be right. So I have a personal experience around this. I know it's not exactly AI, but it, I feel like we're, we're on topic still. And that is, um, I have tinnitus, tinnitus, I don't know how you mm -hmm. say it, but it's, it's, it's a thing. It's a ringing. It's a constant ringing. I've had it for a few years. And um, at first I started doing the Dr. Google thing. I started researching and I, there's like a, a billion and one reasons, a billion and one recipes, you know, remedies. And I tried most of them. None of them work. Then you start going down this fear spiral. You know, Brene Brown calls it the shame spiral. Like, what did I do wrong? What's wrong with me? Am I going to die? Oh, my God. I'm going to lose my hearing. I'm not going to be able to be on these meaning masterminds and learn from Dr. Dan. Like, life is going to be meaningless. All these things. 
And then I come back to my logo philosophy, my way of living in the world, which says I can't control those circumstances. I mean, I, take care of yourself. Like, don't chalk it up to, hey, there's nothing I can do. So party hard. So I take care of myself. I do what I can. There's no remedy that I can find. And I now use the ringing whenever I become conscious, because most of the times I'm not. I think of the work of Frankel and I think of, okay, this is, there's a suffering here. No, it's not a Holocaust, but it is a constant um, grating on my nerves unless I take back my power to choose my response. And so now I have my, um, my little game I play with it where I thank it. Ah, the ringing. Thank you. Ding, ding, ding. I'm in the corner and I'm going back into the arena and it's reminding me that my life is finite. And that bell, I think of it as the bell, you know, in Rocky, ding, 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 get out there, kid, do your work, contribute to the world. And so I've turned it around and I actually, I wouldn't say I like it. I'd be happy if anybody knows of the solution, send it to me. However, I've taken back what's mine. And that's what I keep coming back to with AI, right? Keep coming back to what's mine and nobody can take from me because I don't know what that thing is. Mm -hmm. I, I was just thinking that. I mean, what a, what a great story. Even in the worst circumstances, life still has meaning. And tinnitus, tinnitus, whatever you call it, um, again, isn't a concentration camp, but it's incredibly frustrating, right? But to turn that into achievement or, or recognition or a signal to do something different. I believe we can do the same thing with AI, right? We can learn, we can grow. And I, and again, I would say, if you're going to learn, learn well, find the experts, not the garbage on Dr. Google or Google AI, but you know, the likes of Lex Friedman and his podcast, he's a, an award-winning AI scientist, an amazing podcast, um, great books out there on it. Educate yourself, but then also recognize you have the power to choose. We cannot control whether or not AI devolves into the Terminator and the Matrix, but we can choose how we live today. We can choose our attitudes. We can choose to go be creative. We can choose to experience and learn from it. We can't control the circumstances, and that's okay. That's okay. And that's true every single day, and it was true before AI, and it was true regardless of AI. You know, you live on a rock in outer space waiting to die. Like, what do you control? Really? What do you control? You don't control the rotation of the earth. You don't. My kid, um, when he was really little, says, I just learned at school we're all going to die. The sun's going to burn out in like a billion years, right? Like, yes, there's always things we can focus on that are outside of our control. So like go sit in the sun and get a nice suntan and enjoy it while it lasts because that's all you control. Yep. Or as the Stoics tell us, contemplate that. Was actually, that. That was actually a recommendation. That was actually a recommendation. Yes. Yeah. Go out in the get sun, out in the sun. Suntan. Get something. It's beautiful out here. I almost ran the podcast from outside. But um, yeah, there are things you can do every day. Go out there, get a suntan, go enjoy friends, family, more podcasts from Rabbi B and Dr. D and the Meaning Academy and all that good stuff. AI, it's here to stay. It's going to grow. Again, I blame spell check because that's where it all started. Oh, that and orange now, one? I remember that orange thing. Remember that? Uh, <laughs> the orange thing. What are you talking about? Yeah, it was like a, it was from the 80s. You put in the, the word and it tells you all about the word. I forgot. It was like, you know, it was like Simon. We had Teddy Ruxpin. Oh. We had that spell check thing. Um, yeah. We're going to wow, do a whole cool. episode on 80s technology because that would be fun. 
Has nothing well, to do I mean, with we've already promised to do a an entire episode on um, what was it? Meaningful movies. How did that even come up? Because The Running Man really hit us with a great movie yeah. to review. The Running Man. Oh, by the way, it was called Speak and Spell. Remember Speak, Speak and Spell. Speak and Spell. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Anyways, we're going to do an 80s show. We're going to do, um, but but a real one that we should do is The Beauty and Blessings of AI because there's amazing, um, amazing things that are happening with AI right. and I won't go into them right now. However, I want to you know come back to our work as a Logos-driven community, meaning-centered community is to go out into the even the most difficult challenging of subjects or situations and discover the sparks, discover the logos, discover the meaning. It's there. Our job is to discover it. And that's what we do here. Absolutely. That's what we do here because I had somebody throw out a new logo word for us, B, because we are logo coaches and we want to share our logo philosophy. And I'm going to go eat a logo peanut butter and jelly sandwich after this. We're starting to throw logo in front of too many words, but uh, we'll get there. Um, So back to the point, right? AI is here to stay. It's either going to become R2-D2 and C-3PO and help our days and our lives become better, or it's going to become the Terminator and the Matrix and we're all going to die anyway. What are you going to do? Or it's going to be Y2K and it's going to be a big yawn and we'll adapt it to our life and life goes on. Absolutely. So agreed. It's going to be better, worse, or still the same. What are you going to do with your days here? You know, That's right. go out there, find meaning, enjoy, discover. Well, brother, the running man is now six minutes over his uh, run. So we're going to oh, we're going to uh, call it a day here and we're going to ask everybody to continue to join us. Meet us over at the meaning academy, yeah, the meaning academy.com. Got so many websites in my life, the meaning academy.com or our Facebook group. We have a, a private group that we would love for our uh, meaning seekers to meet us over and continue the conversations, whether it's the meaning mastermind Thursday, we'll continue the conversation in the Facebook group, or when you listen to this podcast, jump over and join us until yep, the it. next time. What's our sign off? Get out there and live a life of meaning, purpose, and resilience. Cause that's right. I, I see that behind you right there. So I, I think that's the meaning Academy tagline and maybe we stick with it or as uh, the running man may have shared, uh, maybe it's just our shtick not to have a shtick at the end of the, of the of the show. But I like live a life of meaning, purpose, and resilience because that's what we are all about. And if you stuck around to the very end, let's give them our little meaning moment so they can they can email us and connect with us and tell us they stuck around. What what's our takeaway today? Dang man, totally threw me off. What is your first encounter with AI? I shared a couple of mine. We kind of joked about spell check and 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 speakings. What was it? Say and speak, whatever that thing is. Speaking spell, speaking spell. Uh, Teddy Ruxpin. Yeah, I tell you, Teddy Ruxpin, calculators, the abacus. The abacus may have been the first one. I don't know. (laughs) Now I'm just getting a little silly. Get out there and live your life of meaning, purpose, and resilience, and keep coming back to the Meaning Academy because we're sure excited to have you around. You've been listening to the Meaning Academy podcast with your hosts, Dr. Daniel Franz and Dr. Baruch Halevi. If you found meaning in what you've heard, please leave us a five-star review and be sure to share this with fellow meaning seekers. And don't forget to check us out at themeaningacademy.com where you can learn how to join our weekly virtual and complimentary meaning masterminds. Until the next time, get out there and live your purpose and discover your meaning.